Hey team of Eternal Optimists, it's Matt Drinkon here. And before we launch into today's epic conversation, I've got a big announcement. Drum roll, please. My brand new book is coming out on March 8th. And perhaps even better news, you can get it for only 99 cents on Amazon that day. We don't run ads on the show. And if you ever want to give back and support the Eternal Optimist community, go to Amazon on March 8th and get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. Here today with a good friend that I've gotten to know really well over the last, what is it now? About eight weeks, we've been in a mastermind class together and I've gotten to know ST Rappaport really well. And she's always brought some energy to my world. Whenever we've been connected, we've, we've just chatted for a few minutes. It's been pretty cool to, to connect and I always value that. But ST, we're not gonna take a lot of time and build out a long scenario of how we met. We're gonna dive straight into the deep end of the pool because that's how we do it here. And I'd love to ask you first, What's the hardest thing you've ever had to endure, overcome so far in your life? So I have two hardest things. One would be what I have considered the hardest and one would be like what other people have considered the hardest. Which one should I start with? Man, you gave me two. Thank you. Man. This is uh, this is tough stuff and I appreciate your transparency and sharing it. Let's go with the thing that's been the hardest for you first. Yeah. So for me, the thing that has been hardest for me has honestly been in my childhood when I was really struggling in school, like reading wise. And so I couldn't do a lot in school. But as a kid, I was bullied a lot. And so like I didn't have many friends for like a good part of my elementary years. And it really took me to accept my weirdness. I'm not your typical person that you would meet. And like what made me unique to really help me become who I am. And like, that's when I started making friends. And that's honestly why every challenge I have after hasn't been such a challenge because I've already embraced my weirdness and who I was from a younger age. Yeah. What does that mean? Embraced your weirdness? What was weird? Was it society telling you you were weird because you didn't read that good earlier on? I mean, what, what was weird? Well, I don't even know if people knew that I couldn't read because like I would just never read. Um, so like I was really shy and I didn't speak a lot in class and things like that. But I don't know. I always like felt like I never fit in. I had like very different perspectives on people. I didn't like to I like, didn't like to play the same type of games as people or do the same type of things. Um, like I would dress differently. I was just me, like weird in my own way. I loved even as a young kid having like deeper, more mature conversations. People thought I was weird for doing those type of things. Now I don't see it as weird. I just see it as me. <laughs> but as a kid, I just didn't fit in. When you're describing this experience, I feel like you're describing me because that's how I kind of felt. People have described me as you're an old soul. You always connect a little bit better with the older people or the adults and if it took you learning to accept your weirdness in a place that there was bullying, there was just a lack of confidence in the reading, that was a real problem. I wonder, as you learn to accept this, this weirdness and really become comfortable with yourself, how did your mentality shift from feeling that way around them to where you are now, where you're pretty darn comfortable in your own skin. Walk us through that growth path, please. I think a lot of us are curious about how to do that. How do you go from a place where it's a little bit uncomfortable and you're judged and bullied and lots of inner stuff to a place where now you're comfortable in your own skin? 
the big like overarching thing of like what it was was just like not caring what people think now I know like that said a lot but that was the theme of it of really just doing what I wanted and not caring surprisingly part of it was at that time after going to a lot of reading tutors it wasn't really helping me much I did what's called the Feuerstein method it helped improve my thinking skills and through that process of improving my thinking skills I started seeing the world a different way and I started having more confidence in myself and yes my reading got better and school got better But it was more how I had a different ability to perceive the world that gave me that intrinsic motivation and built that inner part of me. Can you spell that? You said the Feuerstein method. How do you spell that? Yeah, F-E-U-E-R-Stein. E-R-C, okay, okay, method. And can you help us understand just a little bit more about that? Because I realize that's part of what you do professionally at a very high level today. So help us understand a little bit more about that, please. Yeah, so... Thinking is not one big thing. Thinking is made up of 28 parts called cognitive functions or thinking skills. Now, naturally, we all have stronger ones and weaker ones, but those weaker ones are making it challenging for you to do what you want to do. So in my case, at that age, it was making it challenging for me to read. It was causing me to make a lot of different mistakes. So let's say, for example, the one subjects I was good at was math, but I would still get pretty low marks because one of the thinking skills about precision was weak. So I was making a lot of stupid mistakes because I wasn't using the thinking skill of precision. As soon as I improved that thinking skill, all of a sudden my math was perfect, basically. It was the one subject that it was like that. But it's every activity that you're doing, whether that's in business, when you're listening to this podcast, you have to use those thinking skills. And if one of them is weak, it's going to be challenging for you to really like process it, understand it, and apply it to your life. I think you're speaking to an audience that we hear this idea by enhancing your thinking skills, and there's 28 different cognitive parts to it. I have a lot of curiosity around that. So what's an example? Um, You just said precision. It was one of those. Uh, What might be something practical that we might take away or be able to practice that might help us to improve that if we can? Precision specifically, most people are good at in the things that they are interested in. It's an interesting cognitive function because like when we're motivated, automatically our cognitive functions go up. And that's why we all have them. We just need to improve them. So because you already have precision, by simply being aware, it will get improved. But also using the terms of like the language, because when you use language, then your brain takes action on it. So I'm being precise and checking for errors. So like whenever you're giving someone information, check for errors, like repeat the phone number, repeat the email. Whenever someone gives you information, check again to make sure. In my case, on the math test, it was like checking the math test. I literally would do my math test twice. I would still hand it in like the first person after doing it twice because I checked it for errors. But At work, that would be like making sure you're getting the right email, you're getting the right date, the right information, the right data from your clients, making sure it's actually the precise information before you start beginning to work on whatever task you're doing. So from what I'm hearing, I I feel an exercise, and correct me if this is the right type of exercise, an exercise that worked for me to enhance my precision, this cognitive skill. I recall back in 1998, 
when I had my very first, I'd say my first real job selling Cutco knives. I remember before I went to every potential client's house, they would give me their address. And we didn't have Apple Maps back in the day where you just plug in the address and it tells you where to go. We had to get their address and then, of course, repeat it back to them and then get the instructions on how to get to their address. Like, here's the direction, turn here, turn here, go about that long and turn here. And I remember repeating back and forth to everyone the direction, sometimes a couple of times if I wasn't clear. And I feel that that back and forth really helped me to hone in on directions specifically. Am I in the right ballpark on enhancing my precision skills? Yes. So I like what you said about direction specifically, because that exercise improves the thinking skill of precision. But you now have to take your knowledge or your experience from that exercises and bridge it to other areas of your life. So you did that specific exercise to help you in that situation. When you connect it back to the thinking skill of precision, and now you are using precision anytime you're talking to anybody, that's when eventually will happen automatically. You don't have to think about it anymore. Mm, I feel that, and maybe I've stumbled upon this and you've led me to this place. I feel that this is a, a real strength of mine for a reason of this, that whenever I'm in a prospecting conversation in business or in a team huddle that I might be facilitating for a client, I like to always repeat back or recap. Like, so here's what we just talked about for the past few minutes. Is that the same perspective that you had, Mr. or Mrs. Client? So is that an example of practicing precision and fine-tuning my precise thinking is recapping and repeating back to people? Exactly. Yes. And I'm going to guess that like at this point, I don't know, 20, 30 years later, doesn't take you much effort. You just do it naturally. Yes. Yes. So this might be one of those 28 cognitive functions. It might be one that I paid attention to without knowing exactly what I'm honing, but I pay attention to that over time. So I feel confident in that one now. So this is Good. Thank you. Where might be another one? And then we don't need to go through all 28 of them. We certainly could. <laughs> oh, that might take a minute. But I'd love to ask what might be another one that you see out there, maybe in the business sense that you see entrepreneurs or leaders struggling with that we might explore for a few minutes. Yeah. So another one is called clear perception or the opposite when it's weak, it's called blurred perception. It's when we take in information, we want to take it in a clear and organized way, right? So have you ever walked into a messy room and it was so messy that you just wanted to walk out? Or maybe you've been on vacation for like a week and you come back and there's 5 million emails, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Both of those examples. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? yesterday, my house has got some stuff in it. So yes, yes, I'm with you. Amazing. Okay. So that comes from this thinking skill of clear perception, right? We take in our information through our five senses and we want to make sure it's coming in an organized way. So that way we know how to tackle it. So most people, like if you give them one piece of information, it's fine. Like that's not so much to organize, right? So if you have like 10 emails or whatever, like that's simple. But as soon as it starts becoming tons, then their brain doesn't know how to organize that. Mm -hmm. So the example might be, I walk in, I get home yesterday after this trip. And I've got about 138 emails over my Gmail, Yahoo, you know, business email accounts. And I've got on LinkedIn, like 40 different people to respond to and parenting and making dinner for the kids and preparing for any fire drills that are happening because of the rainstorm last night. So there's so many different avenues of stimuli. And where do I start? How do I cognitively arrange that to begin in the most effective way might be the place. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that was said very well. Yeah. Well, how would I go from that place to one of more clarity? Yeah. So there's two things you could do. One will be just taking in the information in a clearer way would be by asking yourself, going through the five senses and like asking yourself, what do I see? What do I hear? By simply saying out the information, I have 40 LinkedIn's to answer 138 emails, etc. You're organizing it. You're saying it out loud and you're organizing it in your brain. So that is going to make the information a little bit clearer. Now you're going to have to take action on that by asking yourself, what is the starting point? Okay. So I got clear on everything. I know I have this, but like, is it more important right now to answer 40 LinkedIn's or it's more important to like cook dinner and like be with a family? So what's my starting point? And the starting point is literally going to be the first thing. So some people might say, okay, starting point right now is to answer those emails, but even that's overwhelming. So starting point is the first email that I need to answer. So it's arranging everything first, get it all in front of you. Even speaking it out loud gives your senses a chance to digest it. So speaking it out loud, getting clear on the starting point, and even when it's 138 emails, which feels very overwhelming. It's just get down and focus on that one. What's the next thing? Exactly. And what you did with the directions by repeating it back, eventually it became natural and you didn't have to think about it because you're like strengthening literally those neuron connections in your brain and that skill in your brain. So when you do this enough times, eventually it will be natural and it doesn't become overwhelming for you anymore. And you don't have to do this anymore. It just happens by itself. Mm, yes. I think that you may have experienced right now because you're seeing me live here. I literally just put it on mute and had a child come in and was saying things in my default position when I am in listening mode and then I get distracted or someone else buys the attention or only a child is that I will go back to where we were in the conversation and recap it just to make sure. So my precision place is kind of built in naturally to make sure that we're still on the same page. And I feel that what you've just shared about the clear perception or blurred perception is something our listeners might take note of because it can creep in and we don't even realize it sometimes. We've got so much to do. And where I might see this as a weakness for some might be that we have all these different things that are coming at us. And we just sit down and try to go with the first thing. And before you know it, we look up and then we get distracted by something over here. And our perception, which felt like it was already overwhelming. Now I look up an hour later, I've made no progress. And the reason I didn't make progress is probably a, a function of a number of cognitive functions. But one of them is for sure that perception of how I'm organizing everything and getting started. Yeah, I like how you picked up that it's a number of cognitive functions in order to prioritize, in order to plan, in order to do like time management or like big business goals and things like that. You need to use many of these cognitive functions at the same time. So like for two people, planning might be a struggle, but it's a struggle for different reasons, depending on the cognitive functions that are weak for them. It feels like just a little bit of tweaking or practice in some of these areas, there's going to be a compound effect. It's not easy to logically see how it's going to work on the front end. And when you practice it and do it, you could get, I would say, probably pretty quick results or not quick as in easy, but quick as in clarity comes when you practice these skills combined. So it feels like we might be onto something really, really positive here. So I'm fired up. Okay, pause for a second. Originally, I'd asked you what your biggest challenge was. You'd shared it. You said you had a second one. So I wanted to leave some space for that. But I'm so curious to go down the rabbit hole with you professionally. And here's some examples of how this has served people. Because I know that there are people that are in pain, whether they realize it or not, this could help. So where do we go from here? You want to go back to the 
the second challenge or do we want to keep going down this place? Because I think either one of them could give great value to the listener. Yeah, let's maybe continue going down this because it's all related and then we could go back to that in the end if you're interested because there might be some cognitive challenges i'm having trying to figure out which way to go here so let's keep going let's keep going what might be um an example that comes to mind st of practicing some of the cognitive functions of practicing sharpening these skills that has served someone that you coach and lead yeah maybe before i share what people that I coach and lead more like my own story of like where I got super passionate about it because I think it's very relatable, especially that you mentioned earlier, like some people get very stuck in like the now and they struggle to see the big picture. I was that once upon a time. So I saw this method really works for me. All right. In fifth grade, my reading got better. My confidence got better. And I knew I wanted to learn it, but it was not going to be my whole life like it is now. So I started getting training for it and continue doing everything else that I was doing. One thing I did was I took a Tony Robbins program, RPM method, the rapid planning method of like planning motivation. Right. And I really liked it. It's like really cool. Like, right. Like you could plan based on your motivation instead of your to-do list, instead of just having to answer that 138 emails. But no matter how much I tried, I couldn't implement it. Not because I wasn't doing it. I actually legitimately tried and I was only able to implement parts of it. Because a lot of what Tony was talking about was planning a year ahead. Don't think about like your goal today. Think about your year ahead. And at that time, I was very much the person that saw the right now. So I would do everything right now. I consider myself a very productive person because everything got done right now. Like I literally almost never procrastinated. But if I would have an errand to do, I would literally go out of the house three times to do the errand instead of going at once to do all three errands because I would remember I needed to do this thing and I would go, I don't procrastinate. I'm going to do that now. So much living in the now. So I couldn't do Tony's thing because I could not think a year ahead. I planned my day every single day, but only today, not more than that. So I just left it that. And a few months later, I went to take another one of these trainings of these four-year steam trainings, specifically on here, getting the cognitive function of categorizations. Okay. Now categorizations works two ways. You're taking a big group of things and splitting it into groups. And then you have a bunch of small little groups and you're putting it together into a big group. And that was my problem. I was very much looking at that small little group, like the here and now group, that I struggled to see how it related to the big picture group, to the group of the year, of how my actions are now related to the whole year, or how my this errand is even related to the whole day. For me, this was really, really weak, very, very extreme. But as soon as I took that training, that cognitive function improved. And without me even having to redo Tony's course, like I was now able to do it because now all of a sudden my brain automatically was starting to see things differently. I was now able to see the big picture. I was able to see the forest, not just the trees. I was able to have bigger goals. Until that point, I only thought I could work with people one-on-one because I was like, no, I need to give them all the personal attention and I need to be able to help them and like give them exactly what they need. As soon as my cognitive function of categorization improved and I saw the bigger picture, I was like, oh, all I need to do is X, Y, Z. And now I could still give everyone their custom attention, but it's going to be able to be in a group setting because my brain was able to see the bigger picture. I love it. So it's right in front of us. And with the tweaking, with the focused attention and practice using the four steam method, you've been able to fine tune and hone these skills. And the categorization one was a big one. So thank you for letting us see a little bit about your story and how you got there. Was there a moment in time, and maybe you've already shared this, was there a moment in time that you knew, man, I love this and I'm dedicated. This is going to be my passion moving forward. Was there a time that you realized that? 
it was during this time when I've already done some of this because I've already improved some cognitive function as a kid. And I saw that as an adult, I can improve my cognitive functions even more and save even more. I literally save, I don't know, 10, 20 hours by simply adjusting my schedule based on seeing the bigger picture and made way more money by not just having to work one-on-one, but being able to work in groups because of this. And as soon as I experienced that on a personal level, then I knew I needed to do this high achieving people because so many people around the world do do this method with kids or people with learning disabilities, but there wasn't enough talk about doing it on bacon. I was like, this changed my life. Literally, this changed my life. That got me super passionate. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you just rung all the bells in my head. You said I saved 10 or 20 hours and I made more money. So I think that you've got the attention. You've got the carrot out there. So as you learn to do this, then you transformed it from something that you were practicing to something that now I'm going to coach people to do this and run a business doing this. What was that like at that first, let's just say the first year when you started to do this as a real business and coach people to it? Yeah. So interestingly, at this point, I was already doing it with kids because it's a multiple year training and there's different parts of the training. Every part of the training you do, you could already do. And I was already trained to work with kids under the age of nine. So I was already doing this more as like a favor for people. I did not want this to be my whole life. If somebody also like had a struggle in school, I felt them and I would like help them. So it wasn't such a big transition of like changing it into business, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I can follow that. Well, then the different question might be, what's the difference between serving kids under the age of nine and then serving adult leaders who are producers and running companies? Like what are the differentiators between kids and adults? Yeah. <laughs> That's so the right question. I love adults <laughs> way more. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like a kid's person, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I like about adults is like most definitely the conversations, the conversations that can happen. And I think they also appreciate it a little bit more because kids they are learning in school and it doesn't look like anything that you do in school. We're like doing fun exercises and like they always enjoyed it. But like to them, it was just another game. They're learning all the life skills at such a young age. As an adult, we appreciate every skill that we learn much more. And especially if something has been blocking someone for so long. For so long, I've been creating my schedule a certain way. This simple thing, magically, overnight, I got 10 hours, 20 hours. So that part is super cool. Oh, fantastic. Well, can you take us down the rabbit hole of a client or someone who's part of one of your masterminds and help us to see the transformation, an example of someone who had uh, a challenge and how the cognitive training using your four-steam method that you practice, take us through one of those transformations, please. Yes. So I had a client who maybe on the surface, like it looks a little, like it was a little bit similar to me, but she also was very much in the here and now, not so much in not being able to see the future, but not able to see the whole picture that was happening right now. I used to imagine it, like imagine there was like a black paper in front of her eyes and there was like a little people and she only saw what was through that people and nothing else. Now, here's the problem. She wasn't aware that there was other things that she was just looking through the people. She only saw what she saw. And unless somebody actually put information in front of her, there was no way for her to be able to see that there might be more information that I'm missing here. So it was extremely challenging. First, before she started her business, when she was working for other people, she got into a lot of not fun situations because her bosses weren't very happy. If they didn't tell it to her, she couldn't do it. She didn't know. She won't even think of being able to ask other questions. Sometimes she would be like, do I have all this information? But like they would assume that they knew, she knew this, but because it wasn't in front of her, she didn't see it. But then 
afterwards, also when she was running her business, a lot of her decisions like cost her a lot of money and cost her a lot of time, just waste of energy and stuff because she wasn't seeing the whole thing. She was just seeing the world. She was making all her business decisions, this little part that she saw. And that actually comes from the cognitive function of abstract thinking and being able to visualize, being able to see that there was more. So we had to train her brain to do exercises to be able to know that there is more through this people. You're seeing this world through this people by starting by simply like asking more questions and by doing exercises that trains her brains to look bigger, basically to like stretch that people, all of a sudden now she got the information that she needed. Now, is this the training of the brain to logically be able to see things or are we looking through a lens of feeling different emotions that you've not been able to feel before? I'm getting the sense that it's more of the logical part of it, the cerebral part of it to train yourself. Does that question connect? Yes, that question does connect. It is more of a logical thing. We are working on more of the logical cerebral part of things. I'm just going to add that you brought it up. The cognitive functions and emotions are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. It's actually, oh, okay. you said that. That's why when someone has trauma, their cognition goes down. As they heal from that trauma, their cognition goes back up. So as you improve one of them, the other one goes up also. Mm, Okay, so I can be working on one and I can actually be getting enhancement or improvement in both of these areas. So it's not just work on the way that I think. It's also going to help me expand and understand my, my feelings more as well. So I'm working on two different things here, not just logical, but logical and emotional at the same time. Right. Right. Good. So like we're working on, a, from my perspective, I'm working on the logical, but that's leading us a doorway through our emotions. If you work with a therapist, they're going to work with their emotions and that's going to lead more to the logical. Yeah, I find that in coaching happens sometimes too. We start with the logical and it always ends up emotional and we're working on both at the same time. And I think what you're describing is that either way that you go, the other is also getting sharpened or also getting attention. So fascinating, fascinating. Well, we've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit and I'm excited to share that we've only talked about like two or three of these. We've talked about you know precision and we've talked a little bit about categorization. And I think you just mentioned visual, visualization and then there's 28 different cognitive functions that we can sharpen that'll have an impact in our world. So anyone out there who's listening, you want to find out more about these 28 and sharpen any of them, then you know we're gonna have all of ST's contact information in the show notes. Before I ask you where I find you, let's go back to that second challenge, if we may, because there was another challenge that you'd shared, and I'd love to pay you that respect to come back to it if you'd like to share that. Yeah. And the reason why I specifically decided to share this challenge was because on the outside, it looked very much like a complete life-changing challenge for most people. I'm not saying it was like a walk in the park. It is life, and life can be challenging. But because of what I've done as a child, it has been a lot easier compared to what most people would think. And that is about a year ago, my dad fell off a bike. He was riding in a park, regular bike, and he became paralyzed from the neck down. So I have to like move states for treatment Sorry. and things like that. And yeah, now he's doing really good. He's like walking again. And even though they like said he might not and all those good stuff, it took a while and it took a lot of time. Like I said, I think most people made it almost a bigger deal than it was in how I felt it because of being able to have that strong cognitive functions and being able to know how to deal with the situation. Yeah. You're taking me to a place when I had my accident and then had the physical disability and ended up in a wheelchair back seven years ago. You're taking me to a place where I felt and thought 
wholeheartedly, I felt that we were in the driver's seat, super strong, doing great. And then this tripling injury came and, and happened to me. And it really challenged the whole foundation of everything that I'd done. And I wonder, hearing how you practice the method that you're sharing, and you practice it for some time, and you're strong, and you're confident, and you're able to process things very clearly, how did this experience with your father test you or challenge you a year ago when it happened, ST? Test me in what way? Well, for someone who coaches strengthening our thinking and clarifying our thinking and who has a strong emotional intelligence when something that's so unexpected happens and it's emotionally very it can be very emotionally traumatizing and challenging to see someone we love go through that. I wonder if, if there's a listener out there right now who's having a real challenge with some tragedy or something that was totally unexpected in their life, such so as an example you just shared. I wonder how they might process that. And if what you do, if there's some clarity, you might be able to add for someone who's going through something like that right now. Yeah, so so there's most definitely two parts to it. Like we said before, that the emotions and the cognition is attached. Have you ever heard of amygdala hijacking? Not the amygdala part of the brain, amygdala hijacking. No, yeah. no, please okay, tell us so more. As we go about our day, usually our prefrontal cortex, the front part of our brain, we want running the show. That's where your thinking is going. That's where a lot of your cognitive functions are. You want to run logically, not just through your emotions. Now, it is sending messages from the front of your brain to your amygdala, like they're communicating the whole day. Now, what can happen is if there is an overload of emotion in the amygdala, for anyone who doesn't know, the amygdala is where we store most emotions, specifically the strong emotions. So if there's like an overload of emotion, what could happen is the amygdala hijacks the brain, and there's literally a disconnect between the prefrontal cortex, the front part of your brain, and where the amygdala is. So if a child's screaming or like is having a meltdown or stuff, there's no point in trying to talk to them logically because there is no connection between the logical part of their brain and their amygdala right now who is running the brain. There's just a disconnect. So we literally have that same thing in our brain as an adult when there's a lot of emotion happening. In order for you to go back into that thinking state to be able to make a logical decision, you have to first calm your brain down. That's why deep breaths or counting back down to 10 or stuff like that calms your brain down and it gets the connection between the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex attached again so you could send messages between the two. Now, here's the thing. When you have stronger cognitive functions and your cognition is stronger, then the connection to your amygdala is stronger. So you are less likely to have an amygdala hijack. Mm. When the connection is stronger, I'm less likely to have that hijacking happen. Okay. Yes. Does every one of these challenging things, if practiced, if intentionally I'm aware of this cognitive function, every one of these challenges, is that an opportunity to strengthen my resolve so that the hijacking might happen less and less often. A hundred percent. Yeah. You can improve your cognitive functions literally anytime. There's no specific time as when only in an emergency state. If anything, I like to say sometimes it's easier when it, there's no pressure. Practice your sales calls. Not when you have a sale, a potential client there, but like on a friend, like there's no pressure. It's easier to practice on it. So that way when you do have a potential client, it's easier to do it. So when you practice your cognitive functions, it doesn't have as much of a consequence then it's easier Then it's easier afterwards to use it at the times when it does matter. So I, what I'm feeling and hearing right now is that by practicing these cognitive functions, I'm going to be able to strengthen my resolve, strengthen my preparedness 
for when adversity strikes, for when some of these challenges of the head or challenges of the heart happen, I'll be more prepared just by practicing some of these functions. Yeah. So in two ways, one, if your precision is stronger in general, then when it comes to an emotional time, it's there. You don't have to think about precision, even if you're in emergency mode, because you're good at precision. That is stronger. So that's first of all. But second of all, because in general, your cognition is stronger, the tie to the amygdala is stronger. So you're going to stay more in the thinking part instead of getting an emotional overload or amygdala hijack. And it all goes back to getting your reps in, practicing. So I love that if we've come to that and it's practice, refine and sharpen by practicing. And if we don't know what to practice, then we don't know how to sharpen in the way you're describing. And it certainly worked for you. And I know that you coach at a high level, a number of people. Can you tell us, ST, about how we might find out more about you and what your business might look like in terms of coaching, masterminds, just a little bit more about you, please. Yeah. So if you want to see where each one of your 28 cognitive functions are, I've got an assessment. It takes less than 10 minutes to do. And it will give you a very good baseline. Obviously, you're seeing it from your perspective. So it's not perfect. I could give you an official assessment that I don't like to do that takes 20 hours of writing the report. So I almost never do it. (laughs) This takes 10 minutes at lifepicksuniversity.com forward slash brain. So that's lifepicks, P-I-X, university.com forward slash brain. And what you're going to notice on this assessment is you're going to see every single one of the 28 cognitive functions in both weak and strong, like what it looks like when it's weak, what it looks like when it's strong. And there is a scale from one through five. There's no right or wrong because there's no such a thing as being perfect at any one of the cognitive functions. You can always get stronger at some of them. So it's just there for you to see, oh, I'm really five at precision, but I'm not so good at defining the problem or holding two pieces of information at once or whatever it is. So I should probably work on those first. Got it. I love the way you said there's no such thing as perfect. And it is a scale. There's no right or wrong. I, I so appreciate the way you frame that. Well, how might we connect with you directly, whether it's social media, what's the way to connect you? Yeah, it's the same thing. Whatever your favorite social is, it's Life Picks University, Life P-I-X University. Excellent. Okay. Well, we will certainly have these things in the show notes and I appreciate you sharing. ST, this has been fun to go down the rabbit hole of cognition. I certainly love doing that with you and I'd love to put you into the ding, 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 the lightning round here on our show. And the first question in the lightning round is when you hear the words eternal optimist, what does eternal optimist mean to you, ST? For me, the focus is really on the eternal forever and ever after we die type of thing. What am I embracing or embodying and who am I becoming or just holding to in optimism so that way it lasts forever? Excellent. Excellent. Is there uh, one or two books that you've read either now or sometime in your life that have had an impact on you that you might share with us? I'm sure you've heard of it, but one of my favorite books is Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it just breaks things down in a very clear and practical manner. Absolutely. I love that book because chapter one, page one, like the very first thing that comes out of chapter one is the story that I like to use. And I always give credit for it, but it's the story I like to use when I give you keynote speeches. Such an inspiration story for me to hear that, that idea of the aggregation or marginal gains. And I think his name was uh, Brailford was the coach of the English cycling team. So love Atomic Habits. Thank you. There's one more I have, but I don't know the authors. (laughs) Okay. Okay. The One Minute Millionaire. Are you serious? The One Minute Millionaire? Yes. That's fantastic. That was written by Mark Victor Hansen. So one of my favorites. <laughs> he was one of our guests on our show. I'll let him know. Okay. I have on the ship over here. Mark Victor Hansen was one of the co-authors of that book. So 
Great to hear that. It'll be tickled that that was impactful. What was it about that book that was impactful for you? Well, first it's cool, just the way like they have two books in one with both the novel part and the practical. But I also like how in the novel where it's very conscious, making sure to include the practical part. And I think the fact that they had the novel there really makes it way more relatable, way more practical. People actually can see what happens in real life challenges. And then in the practical part of like what actually happened, it's also it's broken down and really consumable, easy to implement type of things. And it's like high level stuff, but not in an overwhelming way that other people sometimes might do. Yeah. Thank you. Fantastic. The last question would be, is there a song or a movie that gives you energy and inspires you in some way, ST? Well, what if I told you that I'm not a music fan and I'm not a movie fan? Um, <laughs> yes. So if you told me that I would be okay with it because I'm not really that big of a music person. And now that I have kids, I'm not that big of a movie person either. So that's fine. There is one that I do like. It's not, it hasn't like moved me, but like if I do have to pick one, I'll lie to me. Lie to me with Tim Roth. That two season was a showtime or whatnot. Yeah, I love that show. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just because of like the understanding of humans. I love the psychology of the thing. So, <laughs> yeah. And for those who haven't seen the show, it's a fantastic show where Tim Roth, who I learned about in the Reservoir Dogs way back in the day, Tim Roth, I would say that he is a behavioral psychologist or he works for, I want to say, he has his own firm, but he reads body language and he reads the smallest little things in people's tone and their body and tells if they're telling them the truth or not. And it's fantastic. He's a human lie detector. It's a fantastic show. Thank you for bringing that up. It makes me smile. I'm glad I was able to see that. <laughs> yeah, love it. You brought up a lot of smiles today. And I love going down deep down the rabbit hole on cognition. So thank you, ST. It's been a real treat. I hope our listeners got as much value out of it as I did. And certainly I'm going to go to lifepicksuniversity.com forward slash brain and take the assessment to see right there the scale. ST, it's been amazing. And certainly appreciate you for joining us today at the show. Thank you so much. Real I appreciate pleasure. you for having me. Thank you, Matt.